Well, it seems you can't go more than five minutes now without seeing something with a drag queen here or an LGBTQ that or an ESG this. Marxism is infecting every single thing that is good, true, and beautiful in our society and trying to rot it from the inside out. It's true to form. That literally is their goal. The goal of Marxism is to infiltrate and penetrate into every institution and pillar that holds up Western civilization so that they can destroy it and tear it down into basically an anarchist rebellion so they can build their socialist utopia on the ashes. That's their goal. That's what they want to do. And it appears they're working to do that at the University of Alabama. We're having a former professor of the University of Alabama, Matt Wylicki, come on to talk about why he was terminated or is at least on the chopping block uh, of being a, a professor at the University of Alabama for pushing back against some of this stuff. So you want to tune in and check that out. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast. Things look a little bit different, but somewhat the same. It's because I'm in my studio, but I am running a test to see if we can start doing podcasts from on the road as I am all over the state uh, doing different things, sharing the good news of 1819 News uh, with everybody around Alabama. And it would just make my life a whole lot easier if I was able to do some of these podcasts from the road. So we're testing that out. Bear with us. Um, but today we've got a great episode. We've got someone who is pushing back against the machine. Uh, as we said, it's our job here at 1819 News to inform, to investigate, and to celebrate. And we're going to be doing a little bit of all of that today. So we want to inform the people of, of Alabama about what's going on in their state and why it matters. We investigate corruption. And we celebrate the things that are good, true, and beautiful. And a lot of what we like to celebrate is courage. When someone shows courage, stands up against the machine, we want to tell their stories because at the end of the day, we believe there's imitative power in that storytelling. When others, uh, when people see someone stand up and be courageous, they are more likely to do the same. And so we want to get um, this man's story out there. We've written about him already. You've probably seen him on Fox News and other places uh, but it is Matthew Wylicki, and he is going to be sharing the story of being a University of Alabama professor, I think formerly, <laughs> and uh, how he got the boot and why, and how it involves DEI, which uh, used to be called DIE and was probably more accurate, uh, of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we're going to jump into that, but before we do and before we introduce him, I want to ask you guys to support the work we're doing, support independent journalism, support nonprofit journalism, support the work we're doing uh, in that informing, investigating, and celebrating. Uh, you can become a member, an 1819 News member, for as little as $5 a month. You go to the website, 1819news.com, and there is a button at the top that says become a member. Click there, sign up at whatever level you want. You'll have access to special behind-the-scenes content that we produce uh, pretty much every week. We're doing something, uh, and then we also have merch that you get uh, corresponding to the level you sign up at. So again, uh, 1819news.com, become a member. Membership start as little as $5. So without further ado, whatever that means, I want to bring uh, Matthew in to the conversation. Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here at 1819news, the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you've probably been doing a lot of these. Um, we've got your own little studio set up there. It looks a little bit better than your uh, your aircraft carrier headset you were doing on Fox News. So you're getting into the swing of things. Um, 
So really, I just want to start off with the story. So you were a, a University of Alabama professor. Uh, you started seeing some things, and you decided to uh, st- stand up and, and, and voice your opinion, which uh, they call that, uh, in the regime, they call that dissenters or dissidents. And so uh, you were punished for it, and, and now you're sharing your story. So, so tell us what happened. Yeah, so um, I, uh, I did a Ph.D. at UCLA and joined the University of Alabama in 2016. And my father was an academic. It was something that I always wanted to do. Um, I kind of grew up on a college campus. And um, I kind of started to see that it wasn't exactly the same way the, the freedom of exchange of ideas was kind of disappearing on college campuses. And it was really on two fields for me. It was climate and DEI. And as an earth scientist, I kind of started to realize that there was just no longer any place for having a discussion. If you if you question some of the narrative, if you started to just start to analyze it and, and to think critically about it, kind of what college and academia is all about is, you know, exploring ideas and defending your ideas and having debates. It it, it labeled you something. You you became, like you said, a dissenter or a heretic, right? It was it's almost religion. It's it's almost like you're you're trying to attack people by make by having questions and trying to open up the floor for debate. It becomes this kind of personal attack against people. They're 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 so dogmatic about this. And I started to push back a little bit and I realized that very quickly this was essentially career suicide. Um, if you if you discussed these things just just openly and and with you know good intentions, I, I I'm not trying to you know rock the boat really, especially as an untenured faculty member. You know that you kind of put your tail between your legs and try not to rock the boat, but just op- just trying to ask some questions and 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 try to see if maybe well intentioned policies are having negative consequences was enough to basically label you essentially a racist or a climate denier or whatever they wanted to call me at the time. And so it it became pretty clear to me that this wasn't the profession that my father enjoyed for many decades, what I thought I was getting into. And it just didn't really seem like it was worth taking my family away from the rest of my family, all of our families on the West Coast. And it was a sacrifice we were willing to make because I thought this was a profession that I wanted to be in and this was something I'd worked hard for for my entire life. But it it became clear that what I, I like to call the rise of a liberalism was really growing in in academia, especially after 2020, right? This kind of racial reckoning and, and, and the George Floyd murder I saw this just explosion in how we framed every decision in academia. I mean, whether it's who we hire or grad students that come in or should we stick with standardized testing, everything was framed through this idea of DEI, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion. And what it was doing, even though maybe it has good intentions, it was driving people into camps. It was creating tribalism. Nobody wanted to interact anymore because you know, God forbid you say the wrong thing accidentally, it's taken out of context, and boom, you're smeared and labeled something. And so it's, you know, it's creating this weird 
kind of isolation culture in academia, which is the exact opposite of what academia is supposed to be. We're supposed to discuss and debate and challenge each other and be open, and then we'll go have a beer afterwards, right? But it's, it's, it's completely different. And so we made the decision about two years ago that I would be leaving, and I decided to stay. I have a PhD student that's, that's finishing, so I'm still actually teaching. I, it's finals week next week. And um, that will be the, the the time that I actually leave. Interesting. Yeah, I had wondered if you were still there, how all that was working. So um, it's in, I was at a, a Mises, of, uh, Mises Institute event recently, um, Austrian Economics Libertarian Think Tank. Um, and uh, I was on a panel, uh, specifically the, the uh, meeting, the event was on the Great Reset. And it was on the Great Reset, and um, ESG and DEI were at the forefront of those conversations. And um, one of the guys there, Rechtenwald, had said, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, what is it? He goes, well, we'll just start with diversity. It is the opposite of diversity. It is the opposite of equity, you know, and it's the opposite of inclusion. And that's so many things, whether it's a a bill coming from uh, liberals uh, in the House, it's always named the exact opposite of what it actually is and so many other little initiatives that they try to push ends up intentionally or unintentionally causing the exact opposite of, of what it is that they're trying to solve. And so, you know, if there's ever a place, I think it's really in the marketplace and in the realm of education where meritocracy should reign supreme. It doesn't like if, if you're an academic, it doesn't matter if the person is black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, if they are performing and they are great thinkers and they are great writers and they are great teachers or they are great whatever, uh, it doesn't matter. Just give us a meritocracy. And then like at Harvard, it's an interesting thing. If you did meritocracy, there'd be a ton of Asian people there and they didn't want that, right? So they come in and and, and make sure no Asian people can come there and they're like, well, wait a second, you know. Um, and then uh, anyway, there's a whole deal there. And then with like uh, Indian Americans and everything else. But um, yeah, if there was ever a place for there to be a meritocracy, it should be uh, university and business. So yeah, absolutely. We do everything with meritocracy, right? We have GPAs, we take standardized tests, we're just constantly trying to judge how well we know information. And it's interesting that you brought up Asian students because actually the Asian American community, especially in STEM, in the right in science, technology, engineering, and math, they're essentially overrepresented. So they're not an underrepresented group. And so they're almost like white adjacent. They're this kind of forgotten group in in this whole DEI thing, and they don't really know where they fit in. So I had many discussions with um, with with Asian Americans, and and they were just kind of lost. They didn't really know where they fit. Yeah, no, and I, I forget where I read that article. That's kind of where I saw that. I thought I think that white adjacent, you know, and they're like, well, you guys are basically white now, and it's like, but we're not though. Well, yeah, but you're not the kind of not white that we're trying to, you know, and it's like, man, this is getting ridiculous. And so, um, yeah, it's really alarming. And, and just think about, you know, as, as much as I try and push back against higher education personally, um, you can't get around the necessity of it. So I was at a, um, at a fundraiser in uh, Dallas, Texas with Newt Gingrich, and I was in there with a bunch of billionaires. And he said, um, raise your hand if you're giving, you know, over $10 million a year to your alma mater. And they all raise their hands. And he goes, you guys are all idiots. And it's like, well, Newt can say that. I can't say that. But Newt said it um, and, and talked about, you know, how ridiculous it is that we're giving all this money to these institutions that are absolutely corrupting 
um, the next generation. And it all comes from the long march to the institutions and, you know, the Frankfurt School of Thought um, and then them disseminating out when they left Europe over and they started in Columbia University and started taking over the Ivy League colleges and then now the regular colleges and it's now down into, you know, basic education and everything else. But you don't, I as I have seven kids, I don't want to send my kids to these universities. I've got a son who's a phenomenal athlete and the, the, the tendency is like, man, he could get a Division One scholarship. And I'm like, but is that, is that really what I want? Like, I mean, is that what, you know, and, and you can't get away from it. I've got a nephew who just got his engineering degree from Florida State. Um, brilliant young man. He's homeschooled. He got um, got a scholarship, so he's got no student debt. He graduated with his associate's degree at 18, dual enrolled, and got his bachelor's degree at 20 and already has a job making $65,000 a year as an engineer. So he had to basically plug his nose for two years of going to Florida State with all the junk, but he got to the end of it. And he got his degree, and now he's going to have a great career and the scholarship and everything. And so it's still a viable path, but I, I don't know how much for how much longer. You know, because I've got kids, and I'm wondering, do, do I send them to higher ed? Do I not? I mean, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think that's ultimately what's going to change the the flow. It's if if universities start to see enrollment dropping, if we're starting to see, which I think we already are, public institutions start to lose enrollment, people kind of moving over to more private, maybe more conservative universities. Um, that's ultimately when they're going to change their tune. You know, it's, it's unfortunately public education is a business, right? I mean, it's ultimately these, they have to stay afloat. And the truth is, is as state and local funds kind of decline for public institutions, they're really reliant on tuition and that's why we've seen tuition going up and they're really reliant on federal grants. And so they've been kind of having to tote this fine line of even if they don't, you know, University of Alabama's, we're a conservative state. This is, I don't think a lot of the people here want to really go along with this stuff, but they realize that if you want federal grants and the federal agencies have essentially become completely dogmatic, right? I mean, for me to get a grant to figure out if an impact crater is 500 million years old or 550 million years old, I have to make a statement about how that data will have a broader impact on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so the universities are a little bit beholden to these federal funding agencies. But I think if we start to see people, donors pulling back, if we start to see parents not sending their kids to these universities, maybe putting them into more vocational training, community college, and then just going out and getting jobs, I think you're going to see the tide start to turn. And I hope that's that's already starting to happen. We're seeing this decrease in enrollment and, you know, everything kind of ebbs and flows. So, so I'm just hoping that maybe people like me speaking out a little bit, people like you doing these types of of podcasts and bringing attention to this stuff is going to make the universities start to change a little bit. But, you know, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. And one of the things that, that scares me about ESG and DEI, and so you want to talk about another merit-based place, investment. So you get BlackRock and Vanguard, and they come in with all their money, and they're like, we're going to invest based off of how many trainees are on your board. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. And it's like, well, wait a second. I, if I'm if you're taking my money and you're going to invest it for my retirement, I'd like you to 
I'd like you to invest it based off of what's going to give me the best return. Yeah, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to we're going to do the emotional, social, and governance and the DEI. That's how we're going to do it. And so and that so that goes back to what I fear with the universities is that you know it used to be if if something loses money, you you just don't do it. Well, they're so committed to this that they're losing, you know, and with BlackRock and Vanguard and ESG investment and, you know, basically social credit scores, uh, as, as Trump would say, they're losing bigly, but they don't care. And they're continuing to put pedal to the metal in the, and it's just, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And it, and it, and at some point something's got to give, I guess. And so, um, I would love to see, um, you know, these big time university donors. And, and again, they, they feel that loyalty and that affection, uh, for their for their alma mater for the you know the what their universities did for them, but at some point they have to say, hey, look, you guys don't function without us. You don't get our kids, you don't get our money, you don't get anything else. If you want to function purely on federal grants, let's see how long that lasts. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're spot on there. Yeah, I, you know, I was really shocked when I I've been an academic my whole life, so I didn't really know how prevalent this was in the business community. And I was shocked to see and get so many responses from people in business that were like, you guys think you have it bad in academia. Let me tell you about the ESG stuff we have going on in in the corporate world. And I was just like, wow, I was I was shocked to to see how much how prevalent it is in the corporate world. And so that was something that you know, as an ac- lifelong academic, I just wasn't really exposed to, but this stuff has really creeped in everywhere. It's really amazing how, you know, I mean, what a, it's, what a propaganda machine, what a brilliant propaganda machine. If you question it, you're evidence that we need more of it, right? Especially as a white male, if I question this stuff, I am proof that we need more of this stuff because I am making, I am actually questioning whether this stuff is actually having the intended outcomes. And I, I give people the benefit of the doubt. I really think most of these people are trying to do the right thing. And, you know, I get it, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It sounds great. I want, I want a diverse community. I want people to have equal opportunity. Uh, um, I want people to feel included and have an environment where people are open to speak out. I think the intentions are probably good, but the outcomes are the exact opposite. And and we have to be realistic about the outcomes, whether the intentions are good or not. Right, so we are gonna hit a commercial break. Uh, and when we come back, we're gonna hear the specifics about the type of dissent that an Alabama, the, the University of Alabama would fire someone for. Um, dissent is punished by losing livelihood. That's how they operate. And we're gonna get into the specifics of what type of dissent that might be when we come back. Hey y'all, it's Allison Sinclair with Alabama Unfiltered. A lot of people ask me, what can I do to actually make a difference in D.C. and in my state government? And one of the most effective things you can do is write an old school letter to your elected officials. It seems super simple, but a written through the mail letter gets their attention much more than an email or a phone call. I use the Quick Letter app from my phone to write letters and it makes it so easy to write all of my representatives in D.C. and in our state a real letter in a matter of minutes. And so Quick Letter automatically determines your representatives and their mailing addresses. You write or dictate a letter on your phone and tap the name of every representative you want to receive that letter. And Quick Letter handles the delivery address, the return address, the greeting, the closing, the signature, the printing, stuffing, stamping, and placing your letter in the US mail. 
Your governor, attorney general, state legislators, your U.S. senators, and congressmen need to hear from you. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. Actually, a brief, simple letter usually has the most impact. Send a quick letter today and every day. Go to quickletter.com, that's K-W-I-K, quickletter.com, or download the Quick Letter app today. All right, guys, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around through the commercial break. And again, I want to give a shout out to Jim Hicks, our sponsor at Quick Letter. That's K-W-I-K Letter. Um, He has made it extremely easy, an app that allows you to send a letter to your legislators, to your representatives, to your congressmen, to your senators, to your governor, maybe even to your dog catcher, um, any of those people, uh, and let them know what you're thinking, what you're feeling about how they're doing and things that they should be looking at. Uh, It's extremely effective. I've used it myself and have gotten responses from the legislators and the attorney general and other people uh, that that I've sent these to. And so um, the effectiveness, you know, can't be uh, overstated uh, at the fact of a nice, well-written letter delivered, uh, packaged and landing on their desk and them reading it uh, and the difference that can make. And so we're talking now about ESG and DEI. Maybe that's something that you would want to write your legislators about and let them know that that's a concern of yours. You can do that with Quick Letter. Go to the your app store, download the Quick Letter app today, and begin writing now. So, all right, back from that, we've got um, we we've kind of got the general story of being fired for dissent. What specifically did they not like about what you were saying? What was it that 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 really triggered it? You know, I, I'm not totally sure that it was a single event. It was me just constantly raising questions about whether or not this stuff was working and having the intended outcomes. One of the big things I pushed back on was we're getting rid of the GRE, the graduate requirement exam, which everybody needs to take in order to get into graduate school in the name of equity because if you have a lower sense you know socioeconomic standing and unfortunately in our country those tended to be black and brown people then that would lower your ability to score highly on this exam and so we're getting rid of that and so now me sitting here in 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 Tuscaloosa I'm supposed to figure out the lived experience of some you know, young people applying from urban New York and somebody applying from a rural town in Arkansas, somebody applying from China and India and Nigeria. And I'm supposed to try to figure out who's going to be successful in academia without ever seeing how they compare to each other. You know, I mean, I'm getting these weird scores from China. This this person got an 8.2. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And And they don't even take a standardized test in the name of equity. And so I really was just pushing back on a lot of these little, and it, you know, it's it's this slow boil, right? It's this it's the frog in the water as the temperature slowly gets turned up. It's all these little things that keep happening, and my radar was just kind of going off that, you know, okay, this is a little incremental step, but this is a little incremental step, and this is a little incremental step. Everybody just kind of checks the boxes and doesn't try to rock the boat. And I was thinking. The path that we're going down really reminds me a lot of the country my parents left, which was communist Poland. And, you know, this was very much this idea where we weren't going to judge people by how hard they worked, how well they understood topics, how 
you know, how much effort they put in, we were going to judge them by immutable characteristics like the amount of melanin in their skin. That became the the major thing. That's not something you can control. I would much rather judge someone by their effort and their scholarship and you know their 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 attitude their their you know their their excitement and we were throwing all that out the window for something that they had nothing to do with right they 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 were born with a certain amount of melanin in their skin that became the the ultimate kind of criteria that we were framing everything by and that just became very much an issue to me and so i just every little box i would slowly push back and you know maybe this is well-intentioned but do we think this is actually having the outcome that we want and it was became clear that that was a thorn in their side and they didn't really want to have these debates they didn't want to have these discussions you know we're essentially using people black and brown people as currency right and we're we're using these people as you know it, it, it's it sounds terrible but these are tokens they're they're how we make each other as in academia appear more i don't know more woke i guess is a is a, is a way to put it and they're essentially a currency and we don't really pay any attention to whether these people are going out and being successful in their careers afterwards you know we we, we show perfect we, we we have the data we show that we are increasing the number of of underrepresented groups and particularly in stem that's kind of where my focus was as a as a as a geologist but we're showing we 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 see that in the data these people aren't actually going off and getting careers in their field they're not going out and actually being successful they're getting the degree and we pat ourselves on the back like look how many underrepresented people we actually graduated but then they're not actually going off and being successful because when they get out in the real world, they're they're viewed as getting a pass, right? Even though maybe many of them were perfectly qualified and they busted their butts and they, they succeeded and they scored well, when they get out in the real world, what we see is that they're judged. They're, there's a stigma now attached to this because people kind of say, well, you know, you probably got a pass. You didn't have to work as hard. And... I was shocked when I saw that I was, I started talking about this on social media and I would get people that showed me, look, this is what my resume looks like. And these were African-Americans that were writing to me on Twitter. And they said, look, after my degree, I write uh, BAA and that stands for before affirmative action, that I got my degree before all this stuff happened. They go, I, per I we put this specifically after our degrees because we want our employer to know that we did this on our own. There was no, um, you know, there was no uh, affirmative action at the time that I got our degree, right? That's basically what we used to call DEI was affirmative action. And I was shocked to see that they carry this stigma for the rest of their lives, even though, you know, they may have been one of the top in their class they still carry this kind of stigma. And so there's long-term negative effects for our society, for our culture, for the people that are getting these degrees. And nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to think about it. They just want to pat themselves on the back and say, look how many underrepresented people we graduated. We are doing better than this you know, other school that we compete with. Yeah. And, and so I think it was just this constant pushback. And I was a thorn in their side. It's easier to get rid of me than to keep dealing with me yeah or engage you in debate 
or engage in Lord. Well, I mean, ac- academia to have a debate. Who would have thought? No, and it just it's so ridiculous the way that this all happens and the way they go about it. And it's like you know, for instance. So you have, we'll just say, a, a, a really smart, talented person who does graduate, um, and now, even though they earned their degree and they should go out and be able to get a job, now they're not going to be able to get a job because someone's just going to assume that they were a DEI graduate, right? So, And it's in the same way that this weird transgender movement that's going on right now, um, you know, it, it's the same people that are you know, feminists that are believe all women that are all this, you know, women, women, women. And now they're like, actually men are better at being women than women are, you know, um, best athlete, you know, best female athlete of the year is a man, best, you know, best woman of the year is a man, you know, and it's just, it's so ridiculous. The, um, and again, I believe it's a spiritual blindness that's coming over. There's, there's no way the human brain just based off it was a computer. It would come to these conclusions. Like this is, um, a spiritual blinding that's taking place. No one, you know, thinks with a brain, it seems like could think some of this stuff is a good idea. Uh, it takes, I think, supernatural help to be this stupid. So um, it's crazy. And it also reminds me a little bit about when we started letting women into the military uh, and, and outside of medical roles. And it was, that was another meritocracy. You got to be able to do five pull-ups. You got to be able to run a mile in this amount of time. You got to be able to do these things. If you can do that, you can get in. Well, women couldn't do that. Okay. Well, we're going to lower the standards. So we're going to lower the standards so that we, you know, and it's like, but, but these are people that are going to be in combat. These are people, you know, they need, there's a reason you have to be able to do five pull-ups and run a, a seven minute mile. Like there's a reason for that. Yeah, I know, but we're just going to lower the standards. And so it's this, you know, um, we're ending up with, with really just a standardless society. Um, and you know, there's efforts right here in Alabama with STEM. Um, I don't know if you know who K Carl Smith is and his brother, who is a, um, uh, rocket scientist in Huntsville, uh, K. Carl writes for us. He's he's a, a black conservative guy. He calls himself a Frederick Douglass Republican, and uh, he and his brother are very into STEM. Uh, their family is a Huntsville family that has worked in that space, and they went to these schools and they went and picked. I'm talking the most underrepresented kids you could possibly find, uh, kids from broken homes with parents in prison and all this other stuff, and they took them when they were young and they poured into them and they trained them and they taught them and they 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 saw okay this kid's got it whatever that it factor is that other engineers and scientists can see. And they poured into them, and then they put them in a robotics tournament, and they actually beat the bricks off of all the other rich white kids in the robotics departments. And these, But they did it because they did it. They didn't do it because it was given to them. They were taught, they performed, and then they were able to actually feel good about their accomplishments rather than something just being handed to them so that white liberals could make, you know, feel better about, you know, uh, their their virtue signaling. So... Man, well, that's good stuff. Um, you got we got a couple uh, a couple more minutes here. Do uh, you got anything else you want to chime in on before we end? You know, I I just I, I really appreciate what you're doing. I I think that we just need to keep discussion open. This isn't something that we need to you know be so dogmatic about. We I think everybody agrees that we want a diverse group. We want people to have equal opportunities and just there has to be some analysis of the outcomes and you know we can have the best intentions but if the outcomes are bad we should be honest about that and we should be open to that it doesn't mean that the people that are trying to do this stuff are bad people it's it's 
just not having the outcome that we wanted. And we need to keep this discussion going. This We can't shut each other up or shout each other down, right? This is what we see now in academia a lot. You have somebody that comes to the campus that the students don't agree with. They just shout them, th these people down. They, 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 they basically don't let them speak. And this is the exact opposite of what academia was founded on the freedom of exchange of ideas we should be open to discussing this if your ideas are that good then they should be easily stand up to a challenge because they're good ideas and you know that's the whole point but if you have to not debate because your ideas are weak and they're not having the outcomes that you want that's a clear sign that there's something wrong and you know i just really appreciate that folks like you are out there and i'm hoping that me speaking up will start to you know change the flow a little bit but you know it's going to be an uphill battle unfortunately absolutely no i couldn't agree more um, you know, and, th and that's, that's it, you know, ideas need to, to, to go into the, the Aegon and battle it out and may the best ideas win. And when your idea sucks and can't be challenged, and then, th then the idea that would absolutely lose in debate is then forced and thrust upon people. Um, and I think you're, you're a little bit more, uh, kind than me. I think that there's people behind these movements that want to see Western civilization crumble. And so they're taking, you know, every single pillar that's held up Western civilization or what I call Christendom throughout history, um, they're, they're strapping C4 to it and destroying it and flipping it upside down on its head um, so that the West crumbles and you can have globalism or, you know, communist China for the whole world. So those are my thoughts. But, um, well, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll do a uh, behind-the-scenes segment as well. That'll be for the people who have jumped on uh, as, uh, you know, joined the fight, who've become 1819 News members. Go to the website, 1819news.com. Click the Become a Member button. Sign up. Membership start as little as $5. Thank you, Matt, uh, for joining us. Thanks, Brian. And as always, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.